0: Donna McAleer, today's guest, is the executive director of the Bicycle Collective, which operates nonprofit bike shops that refurbish donated bicycles and put them into the hands of children, newly resettled refugees, and individuals experiencing homelessness or recovering from substance abuse. She'll also share insights about her superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Donna, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. It's just great to have a chance to catch up with you. I, I know this is the first time on the show, but you and I go back a ways, and I'm thrilled to have you on the show for the first time.
1: Devin, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for the invite, and I look forward to our conversation.
0: Yeah, you have, uh, you know, you, you and I have a lot of things in common, uh, uh a lot of mutual friends, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very familiar with the organization you serve uh, because I was part of another organization that provides some backing early on. And so uh, I, I love what you're doing. I'm excited to have this chance to uh, catch up. But among our commonalities is you and I both ran for Congress in Utah uh, and neither of us uh, served a term in Congress. So we have that for better or worse in common.
1: Well, I think the important thing, Devin, was both of us gave it our all. We connected with thousands of voters across this state on the issues that matter to them. Um, Unfortunately, we live in a state that's been uh, strategically gerrymandered. And at the time we both ran, if you recall, we still had straight party ticket voting here in Utah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it, it it is a challenge, but uh, Donna, it is just, it is a thrill to have you on the show. And I appreciate you joining me to talk about the Bicycle Collective. It, it is um, a, an amazing organization. And so why don't you take us through the great work of the Bicycle Collective at a high level? Give us the overview.
1: Well, thanks so much, Devin. The Bicycle Collective is really a community resource that is focused on providing self-reliant and independent mobility we were founded in 2002 so this is our 20th year in operation and we operate as a group of nine of not not profit not-for-profit bike shops throughout the state of utah and we take donated bicycles And we triage them when they come in and we repair, refurbish or recycle them with the focus on getting them in the hands of people who don't have access to independent mobility. And so we focus on newly arrived refugees, people coming out of substance abuse, income eligible families, individuals experiencing housing and home, housing insecurity, and homeless—pretty much anybody in need of transportation.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it, this is such a cool thing because, really, in in a way, you hit on all three of my key issues, right? I, I there are three things that I really think I worry about. One is, uh, you know, poverty and social justice, and you're working right directly on that. Uh, I worry about public health, and of course. Bicycle riding is a, in a, in a an amazing way to improve uh, health across the board, right Everybody who bikes is going to be healthier. And then third, of course, climate change is my other big thing. And what we see with, uh, with climate change is of course bicycling is going is a huge, huge help. We, we sometimes, I, I tend to be one who sometimes exaggerates the benefit of electric cars. Uh, there's a much better way to get around. It's called a bicycle. So you're doing just amazing work. Um, How did this all get started, Donna?
1: Well, it got started in 2002 when a group of bicycle enthusiasts in Salt Lake City found a couple of children's bikes in a dumpster, and they recovered those bikes recognizing that there was really nothing wrong with them other than flat tires and needing a little chain grease to uh, get that chain going around the cassette. And they were like, these are not consumable items. These are durable items. And there is some child out there that could really benefit from a bicycle. If you think back to your days when you learned to ride a bicycle, right, the excitement, the adventure the escape, and that was really how it started. It started from a passion of bicycles and wanting to expose young people to this amazing um, invention, right? And if you if you think back, um, bicycles were invented more than 200 years ago, and they've really transformed lives. They provide somebody with that self reliant mobility, allowing them to go where they want when they want it promises cycling promises freedom and a sense of adventure it's practical it's affordable it contributes to economic well-being physical health emotional stability and it's a simple yeah. eco-friendly transportation option
0: oh my yes it's all those things isn't it amazing I, you know there are people i know in in utah that uh, would commute uh, 20 miles uh on a bike uh and and to be clear people who had an option uh commuted uh 20 miles so they they really are kind of uh, a really powerful tool aren't they Uh,
1: they they really are and you know the design of a bike really hasn't changed all that much i mean certainly the technology and component sense have gotten better frame making but the bicycle itself has remained fairly stable. Um, And the great thing is what's really cool about the Bicycle Collective is we get about 5,200 bikes a year donated to us. And that's from people throughout the community. Maybe they haven't ridden, maybe they've outgrown, maybe they've upgraded, maybe they just don't know what to do with the bike, right? And so when those bikes come to us, Um, Those are bikes that might have ended up in a landfill. And last year alone, we recycled more than 57 tons of material. That's aluminum, steel, and rubber, right? So if we get in a bike and we evaluate it and say, hmm, probably is a lot of work or too expensive to repair this, we'll strip it down for parts and we'll make those parts available in our do it yourself shops and then we recycle the rest. So not only do we provide bicycles to those people who can't afford them, but we re- we operate four value-added thrift stores throughout the state of Utah. So anybody looking for an affordable means of transportation, I highly recommend they come, they take a look, not only in our retail location, but we are growing our digital presence um, online. We now, our our online shop is open 24 seven and the sampling of bikes and parts we have online is a small part of what's in all our retail
0: stores. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's a, a new feature I didn't know you have. Now, one of the key things you do is to work with kids. Uh, tell us about the youth programs. So, Devin,
1: yeah, we had a pre-pandemic, we had a very robust youth program throughout all our four shops. And we really ran two programs. One was what we call an open shop, where We had young people in primarily between the ages of about 10 and 16 to learn basic bicycle mechanics. And they learn that basic bicycle mechanics first by learning the parts of a bike by learning how to strip it. So while they're in our shop, they're helping us strip bikes that are going to be recycled and put parts in our bins that are available for do-it-yourselfers. And over time, we ran a, um, we'll call it a colored apron system, which was very much like a black belt system in the martial arts that um, at every increment of knowledge, um, there was an opportunity to demonstrate that skill and work towards a carrot, which was a part or a component. And when youth reached up to 60 hours of time in the shop, they earned a bicycle that they then could rebuild for themselves. Um, When COVID hit, obviously, the health and safety of our patrons and our program participants and our staff was paramount. So we tried moving that program online. Um, We held it online for a couple of months, but we really saw deteriorating participation. I think everybody just got zoomed out between school and all that was going on online. Um, We will be restarting that this summer in the summer of 2022. The other youth program we have, and we're really going to be focusing on this year, is what's called Junior Bike Mechanic. And this is a um, eight to 10 week intensive bike mechanic program where once a student completes all those hours... They leave with a certificate of being a bike mechanic so they can get a job in a bicycle shop. And we actually look to hire a lot of the students we train, um, which is really a cool thing. And so it's an opportunity for them to really get a skill that is needed, particularly in the workforce in Utah. Um, But what I think bike mechanics really teaches is it teaches problem solving. Right. You got to look at what's going on. You got to figure out what what needs to be done. You need to identify parts um, and tools to fix that problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that is really a powerful tool. Now, you've also got programs now for refugees, new immigrants. Tell us a little bit about how you're uh, helping that community. So
1: we work with more than 62 community partners throughout the state of Utah, and these are the community partners such as the International Rescue Committee and Catholic Community Services. Those two are two of the largest organizations that um, welcome incoming refugees into the state of Utah and help them get started in a new life as A new American. So we get referrals from those agencies of individuals that are newly arrived in need of transportation. And so we provide those individuals um, bikes. We do it, um, they come to our shop and we get them fitted for a bike that has been built. And then we also show them some basic mechanics and we welcome them back to our shop for what we call open shop to help them learn how to maintain that bicycle, whether it's fix a flat, um, change a chain, maybe put in um, a new gear um, or shifters. So we're really about not just providing the bicycle, but teaching a person, how do I maintain that tool so that it serves me quite well in the coming year and beyond.
0: You know, that really increases the value of the bicycle dramatically, right? If you know how to take good care of it so that it can last for years instead of one summer. (laughs) If you don't know how to take care of it, that first flat tire kind of kills it, right?
1: Oh, totally, right? And a flat tire is something that is really quite easy to fix if you know how to do it. And so what are all these new, how are all these new refugees using the bikes they have? They're using them to go to job interviews, to get to a job, to go to the grocery store, to get to a medical appointment, to go to a place of maybe worship or a community space. So they're used all over. And interestingly enough, most refugees are very familiar with biking as a means of
0: transportation. Sure, sure. Uh, they probably already know a lot more than I do about maintaining the bike before they show up, uh, but I'm sure you're able to add to that. Uh, this is really amazing work, Donna, and you, you have accomplished a lot of amazing things. Uh, I think in some ways your career launched at uh, West Point, built a foundation that uh, you have just been able to layer accomplishment upon accomplishment, Um as you look back at your career, what do you see as the superpower that has enabled you to be so successful?
1: Devin, that superpower is an orientation to service and a desire to make a meaningful and measurable impact in the community I live um, and serve that community. Uh, you mentioned West Point, And when I was 17, I took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And I took that oath again when I graduated and when I was commissioned as an officer in the Army. And we take that oath every time we're promoted. I took that oath again when I was appointed to serve on the Defense Advisory Committee for Women in the Service. And I take it very seriously and it's part of my DNA. And just because I no longer wear the uniform doesn't mean that obligation goes away. That obligation is for my lifetime.
0: Yeah, that is um, a profound uh, experience that you've had that, that repeatedly taking that oath um, and how that has uh, reinforced, I think, something you had before you did that, right? You you wanted to serve in the military because you had that desire to serve. Um. I wonder, can you think of an example of something you've accomplished specifically that grew out of that desire to serve other people?
1: Well, it's, Devin, it really is a sacred and it's a sacred obligation and a solemn oath. And when we don't keep our word to that oath, right, it's a a verbal oath we take in front of um, the public, in front of our parents, in front of our community. And something that did grow out of that was um, an opportunity I had to coach a girls volleyball team at. The local high school. And I remember when I started that, um, I was surprised at the um, kind of what was being purported and promoted in the media. And this is really well in advance of the proliferation of social media and the access to constant information. But For a lot of the young girls I coached, um, sexual allure was enshrined as the Rosetta Stone of confidence and self-esteem. And I thought if I could expose my young athletes to the women I went to West Point with in the very early years of West Point being open to women um, and the women I served with in the Army those I served with, those that were my superiors, those that um, were in my units, that maybe my young athletes would see and learn of opportunities far beyond their current environment. And so that led me to write a book called Porcelain on Steel, The Women of West Point's Long Gray Line. And it's a collection of contemporary inspirational biographies about women who graduated in the first uh, about 24 years of West Point. And it opens with a chapter of Kathy Gerstein who graduated in the class of 1980. That was the first class to graduate women. 119 women entered in the summer of 1976, when Gerald Ford signed the uh, um, executive order opening the service academies to women. And it actually closes with her daughter, who graduated almost 25 years later. And it's the um, kind of the generational um, ends to a story. I'm now working on the second version, which will focus on the women who use their Education and their time in the army to go on to impacting their communities. I think far too often success is defined uh, by financial wealth and stability and job title. And yet there are so many more who have gone on to define success by making their mark in academics, in the environment, in working in homeless populations, particularly helping homeless veterans. So we're kind of hoping to open the aperture of that definition of success.
0: Uh, that's uh, it's brilliant. Uh, you know, y- you have done a lot because of this deep, deep devotion to, to service. And uh, I'm excited to read your book. I apologize that I haven't, but I, I'm, I'm going to read that. And I look forward to the new one donna as you think about um how you developed this desire to serve thinking back to as a young woman before you made the decision leading up to that decision to serve in the military which so many so deeply reinforced that view but but before you got there you had that view how would you coach other people to develop that desire to serve
1: I would coach them by encouraging them to take risks, doing things that are out of one's comfort zone and experiencing not only maybe the success, but the failure and getting up from that failure and trying it again, whether that's maybe participating in a sport Maybe it's volunteering some time with an organization that could use input and use a skill set. And maybe it's something that um, is unfamiliar to you, whether that's maybe working at a food bank or in a soup kitchen or um, with um, a homeless shelter or... Uh, an organization that rescues pets, there's so many different opportunities and sometimes it scares us because it's out of our comfort zone. And I think one really grows and develops by doing those things that scare us.
0: Boy, that is so true. So true. What a great insight. Well, Donna, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, I'm so grateful. Before you go, would you take a minute and tell people how they can learn more about b- the Bicycle Collective, maybe how they can get a copy of your book, how they can connect with you on social media, et cetera?
1: So to learn more about the Bicycle Collective and the, the amazing work we're doing, um, we'll be, we last year we gave away more than 1,400 bikes. I encourage people to visit us online at bicyclecollective.org, and uh, you can look at some of our new projects. We are also working right now on uh, getting ready to break ground on a new hub in Salt Lake. This is the first intentionally designed community bike shop in the nation. And we hope to be breaking ground on that later this summer. And that's going to enable us to really increase our impact throughout the state. We have a virtual tour of that online. So again, that's at bicyclecollective.org. We have a YouTube channel at Bicycle Collective. We are on social media. Uh, we have four different uh, Facebook and Instagram sites that are all local Salt Lake City Bicycle Collective, Provo Bicycle Collective, Ogden Bicycle Collective, St. George Bicycle Collective. Uh, For me personally, the book is called Porcelain on Steel. You can find it on um, any online book retailers. It's available in Kindle, and my personal website is porcelainonsteel.com.
0: Fantastic. Well, Donna, again, thank you so much for being with us today. We wish you every success in your continued effort to help people and the planet through the great work you're doing at the Bicycle Collective.
1: Devin, thank you so much. I mean, transportation is a formidable barrier to economic mobility. And just about everything, access to everything associated with that upward mobility and progress, whether it's jobs, whether it's food, whether it's goods, Healthcare, schooling relies upon um, the ability to get around in an efficient way for an affordable price. And bicycles do that. So we're grateful to our community. I think our name is very appropriate, the collective. Because we um, bring together passionate volunteers who love bikes, who love biking and want to share that. We bring together an enthusiastic and knowledgeable staff and a community that supports this organization. So thank you.
0: No, thank you. Thank you. Now let's do some good.
1: Let's do some good. Let's make it great, Devin.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for tuning in to the superpowers for good show twice each week. We host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit DevonThorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.